Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, and we're excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have season one, episode 16 to recap. It's called Star-Crossed Lovers and Other Strangers. The Netflix bio for this episode is... Rory and Dean celebrate their three-month anniversary, but things don't go as planned. Luke's ex-girlfriend, Rachel, arrives in town. So much drama. (laughs) I know. Not quite the same kind of drama as we had in the last episode, thankfully. Right. Yeah. But my prediction that this would be a really, like, light episode was not entirely correct it started out pretty late with a lot of festival goings on and whatnot Mm -hmm. but we'll see I didn't know this episode was coming down the line and at a certain point in time in the episode I remembered what was going to (laughs) happen so I'll flag that later on but I was like oh shit it's this episode (laughs) yeah I remembered that only because it reminds me of what happens next which I hate Uh, we'll get to that next week (laughs) I guess we should do our talking fast and get some of the main points from the episode in. Are you ready Mm -hmm. to go first? I think I am. (laughs) Okay. And go. It is the Founders Firelight Festival. Try saying that three times fast. And speaking of three, it's also Dean and Rory's three-month anniversary. And... Uh, Rory gets out of Friday night dinner. Lorelai goes alone. She's kind of on this blind date unexpectedly with this guy Emily set her up with. So there's a lot of dating going on. Rachel, Luke's ex, is back to speaking of dates. And, um, there's a breakup at the end. Dean got her a car. He loves her. She says, that's me. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> nice. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that wow. was like rapid fire thoughts as they came into my mind. <laughs> yeah. You pretty much covered a lot a lot of it, though. It's a lot of kind of back and forth stuff. Broad strokes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's have you take your turn. Okay. On the count of one, two, three, go! So it's the Firelight Festival, and the love is in the air, and Lorelai is grumpy about it. Um, Rachel shows up at Luke's, which kind of puts a bit more tension on Lorelai and Luke. Meanwhile, Rory and Dean are going on a date, and they talk about meatballs and stuff, and then they go to a junkyard. Um, uh, uh, Dean says, I love you, and then they break up. Um, Also, Lorelai has to have a blind date with this guy who is terrible, and um, she sneaks out of the bedroom window. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I couldn't remember details. (laughs) Okay. Let's slow down and catch some of the nuance of the details that we missed. Yes. From the very get-go, we are introduced to another Fantastic Stars Hollow Festival. This one is the Founders Firelight Festival. (laughs) FFF. And I actually thought this opened in a really creative way that we haven't seen before and I don't know if we'll see it much often after but it's having a voiceover which you know I know from like glee (laughs) but uh this voiceover is Miss Patty telling the story of well the first story we get we get a few different versions of the founding of Stars Hollow and you just see a lot of 
The whole town seems to be out and decorating for this event. Mm-hmm. It is not my Stars Hollow moment, but it easily could be. Yeah, there's like, it looks kind of like a fairy tale type place, like a six-year-old's mm-hmm. vision of a fairy tale. It's got like <laughs> pink and lavender tulle everywhere and flowers all over the place. Everybody looks kind of happy and is smiling, um, except Lorelai, mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> um but yeah this i really like this intro i wish i had been fast enough to write down the entire story because it was pretty interesting i mean pretty conventional like Mm -hmm. lovers who are separated and then find each other again but Mm -hmm. yeah i liked hearing miss patty's story sounded like a plagiarized version of romeo and Mm -hmm. juliet basically (laughs) you know the two star cross lovers who have to like escape their families don't want them to be together i thought i overheard um she said their families didn't approve of the union and just be- in my labor mind i thought she was saying one of the families was like anti-union and that's the conflict oh, <laughs> and wow. i was like wow that's <laughs> fun but no just the like the ma- romantic union that would be an interesting take <laughs> yeah they run away go to stars hollow conveniently like the land where the gazebo now is and they start a fire some for some reason that (laughs) patty and taylor fight about later on but Mm -hmm. that's my quick synopsis continue (laughs) and apparently this is something that happens every year although we'll never see it again um i mean we we get hints of of the founder stuff again i think but we don't we don't ever see the festival which is kind of sad i would like to see it (laughs) Yeah, I think we get Founders Day stuff, but not this like firelight specific with all of these stars for the Mm -hmm. very like on the nose about star-crossed lovers and a bonfire. We don't see that again. It's true. Yeah. It felt very spring-like though, like April kind of, which brings me to my first complaint about the episode, which is Let's have it. That this is supposedly their three-month anniversary. And so I went and double-checked some of the timelines that we have so far. Dean says that this is three months since her birthday when he gave her the bracelet. Right. Her birthday is October 8th. So technically, then, we are in January. Um, I somehow don't Not think that's true. right. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. we also have gotten, I think just a couple episodes in the concert interrupt us episode, Rory said that they'd only been dating for one month, which I, again, was like, that's impossible. So they really need to step up their timelines. I think this, this is about a six month anniversary, maybe, yeah, maybe five months, but I think probably closer to six months. And why couldn't they just do that? I don't understand their need to make it a three-month anniversary when it's clearly not for anybody who's watched the show. <laughs> like, it is definitely mm-hmm. not January. Yeah. And, it, yeah, to clarify, she did say two months when she was in Concert Interruptus. Oh, okay. Still, though, we we did flag at that time that that timeline didn't add up. I thought, like... This, if she said two months in that episode and then he said three months in this one, I think that tracks. It's like they decided, you know, halfway through they wanted a new timeline. Mm-hmm. But it just bothers <laughs> me. Why not six months 
that would make far more sense for the whole everything that happens you know Mm -hmm. the fact that they're celebrating it to the extent that they do of course my like I'm a cold jaded person right (laughs) no not really not really at all but I did you know at first I thought maybe I would roll my eyes at this whole three-month anniversary like making a big deal out of it but then I did have to like take myself back and consider like how that does track as a milestone in such a young and fresh relationship like they're having. And I did find it charming, at least at the start, that Dean was so into the anniversary. Like he was the one who remembered mm-hmm. it. He was the one who planned everything. I think in a lot of common narratives, it is typically like the feminine person in the relationship who is in charge of the work of keeping track of important dates, planning dates, all of that kind of cognitive work that he actually took on. And it's not going to go great in the end, <laughs> but at the start, I was like, I will actually appreciate his role in this so far. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's often shown like when it's the like woman or somebody reminding about anniversaries it's also often seen as like kind of nagging or something like that so I thought mm-hmm. yeah it was a good mm-hmm. good thing to have that kind of reversal and Dean is super into it Rory gives him a bit of a hard time for it which I liked um they they're talking about Anna Karenina already so of course there are some jokes about throwing oneself under a train I myself have never made it through Anna Karenina but I've never tried, to be honest, but I did, like, find myself thinking she really does have him, like, wrapped around her finger to think that he's trying to read Russian literature for her and then struggles and then still agrees to try again because she basically just asks him nicely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I'll say what I want to about Dean, but I certainly will never say he doesn't have, like, a lack of affection for Rory. (laughs) There's so many people who would just not do that for their partner. Kind of like, understandably, you try once to read a book they recommend. I think that's already kind of a good thing. But he Mm -hmm. tries multiple times and for like hard literature that I don't think he's interested in. (laughs) Yeah. And judging by just where his finger was in the book in that scene, he was like close to the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I would definitely, I like read books that people recommend to me, but... My grandma, for example, gave me Outlander last summer to read, <laughs> and it's like a thousand pages long. I have not started it. Mm-hmm. It's just sitting on my bookshelf. I'm also like, I like some romance and stuff, but not a lot mm-hmm. of it. I think I might like this because it's more, you know, uh, historical as well and kind of fantasy and stuff, but right. I don't know. It's so, so long. So I... I yeah. took the book from my grandma and have been hoping that she does not bring it up again. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think maybe you could watch the show rather than read the book and then you could reference it and she wouldn't know the difference probably. Yeah, that's Because true. Outlander is one book. I did read the first book and maybe even the second one, but they are so long that it takes a long time to read them and I wanted to know basically just the plot mm-hmm. you know I just wanted to know the story because I had been watching the show and that's a rare case of like I think I'd rather just watch the show than read the book but okay. I haven't kept up with it because it's just going on and on and on and there's some things in it early on that just kind of I didn't 
enjoy. But there were parts I definitely enjoyed. Like, I liked the consensual sex scenes between the two main characters. But then there are other things that were not so consensual that were just not for me at this point in life when I could just watch Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, Before we move away from this scene, I wanted to share my Star's Hollow moment. After Dean and Rory wrap up their discussion, the camera passes by the town troubadour. And this figure we actually saw for the first time last episode, and I forgot to mention it. But this is, you know, to any fan would recognize the whole troubadour aspect of Star's Hollow. And he appears twice in this episode, often at, like, the end of a scene as a way to transition into the next scene. So you see him playing the guitar, and then there's music playing as, like, the background music. I don't know how to describe it, but I really like this, the way that they use the troubadour as a way to transition. It's always really nice music. It usually fits the mood, or sets a mood, rather, and... It's, like, very unique to Gilmore Girls that the show uses, like, the troubadour. I can't really say I've seen something similar, necessarily. And it almost feels like he's breaking the fourth wall because he's, like, in the show, in town, but he's also, like, playing the music that we're hearing and recognizing as, like, background music, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, the soundtrack to the show. Um, And it just makes Stars Hollow feel both, like, real and not real at the same time it exists in like this kind of interesting space that i think makes it so interesting to us too but mm-hmm. welcome troubadour mm-hmm. we're glad to have you <laughs> yeah i had also noticed him last week and then forgot to mention him i'm glad he's here and i think some of the episodes where he does become an actual character in the uh mm-hmm. town is are some of my favorite because they're all just so whimsical yeah But yeah, I'm glad he's Mm -hmm. here. He adds a lot Mm -hmm. to the show. (laughs) Moving forward, the next scene is a conversation between Lorelai and Rory. Uh, Rory's informing her about her three-month anniversary, basically trying to get approval to get out of Friday night dinner. And long story short, she does remarkably get out of (laughs) Friday night dinner. Emily doesn't really make a fuss about it at all. And I thought this was in sharp contrast to the birthdays episode where Mm -hmm. Emily would not let Rory out of Friday night dinner that was on her birthday for a birthday party. So either this is growth or this is Emily instantly recognizing the opportunity to set (laughs) Lorelai up on a blind date. Either way, it was a funny conversation between them and it propels us forward. Rory is free to go on her date. (laughs) Yeah, it was very suspicious. We also learn one other tidbit in this in this scene, which is that Lorelai, I guess, has been waiting to hear from Max Medina and hasn't heard from him. We don't really understand why she'd be waiting, but this is the first mention of him, yeah. and it kind of, like, starts off the whole idea of Lorelai feeling lonely at this time, and I feel Mm -hmm. like it'll set us up for some things in the next couple episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I felt suspicious of this. I don't mean to be like a paranoid reader or anything (laughs) like that, but Lorelai starts by saying she's in a like a funk. She's in a bad mood Mm -hmm. and doesn't know why. And Rory asks her, is it because you miss Mr. Medina pretty much? 
And I was like, we haven't heard from him in so long. She was having more of like the Luke stuff. Then she was having the Christopher stuff. Mm -hmm. I just felt like there was a lot of other things we could point to and like reveal to be the real reason that she's in a funk. And I almost wondered if it's like, because Rory said Max, did that put it in her head? And then when she starts to, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, like fill in like, oh, it must be Max that must be why I'm feeling this way. Mm-hmm. When it could be deeper issues, like Chris, my Christopher was back and we hooked <laughs> up. I let Luke down, like so many other things. She's in business school. She's running an inn. Like, yeah. <laughs> does it have to be only Max, someone we haven't heard about for so long now? Supposedly, though, I guess it's only been a month yeah. in their timeline <laughs> right <true>. now. <laughs> I I fully agree with that. The only thing that almost convinced me That this wasn't just a complete plot device. I mean, obviously it was, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) was when she said that she had had a dream about him and he just been on Mm -hmm. her mind since because Mm -hmm. dreams can do that. Like if you haven't thought about somebody for a while and then you have a dream about them, all of a sudden like you are thinking about them all the time, even if Mm -hmm. it's just some random little thing. So I, I did understand that. But I, yeah, I still, I still agree. I think it is like, (laughs) she has many reasons to feel grumpy and lonely at this time. I don't know why Mm -hmm. it needs to be Max, except for that they want to bring him back into the show. (laughs) That's the only explanation. And speaking of Max Medina, we move to his place of work (laughs) in the next scene, which is between... Uh, Louise, Madeline, Rory, and Paris, they're all viewing Tristan and an unnamed brunette who's probably a Rory replacement making out in front of the lockers. They're commenting on it in fairly funny ways. Paris is, of course, really grumpy about this because she needs to access her locker. And this scene also has my Rory's bookshelf moment in it. Okay. Uh, Did you have this one? No. No, okay. Later. Okay, it was English, so I thought maybe, but okay. Um, <laughs> Paris is very disgruntled about this PDA display, maybe a little jealous, of course. We know she has a crush on Tristan. So he, once he departs, you know, his he ends the makeout and his lovely young partner walks away. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> he just says, um, he says, Oh, to be young and in love, basically. And Paris responds, What a shame. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wasn't here to witness this. She'd put her head through a wall. And I'm actually not familiar with Barrett Browning. And so I looked her up because I'm always liable to give my, you know, nomination to a woman writer. So she was a English poet in the first half of the 19th century. Apparently... A pretty prolific writer like her output of poetry was really high and she's known for a variety of different things uh, but specifically one poem was flagged and I thought this was perhaps a connection being made here she's known for a sonnet called how do I love thee so uh, if I had to suspect I would say they read this poem in class because Mr. Medina seems to have a thing for featuring if, if he features a woman, it seems like it's a poet, like Dickinson and now Barrett Browning. Well, my theory is that she read it in class. 
and she's making fun of him because I imagine Barrett Browning presents like a complicated view of love and so Paris is saying like she hit her head on the wall because your love is so like (laughs) surface level or not love at all it's just teens making out in a horny way in the school hallway uh so that was my nomination and it was fun because it involved a bit of research and thinking about why Paris would make that comment at all yeah I'm glad you took that one I had thought about taking it but then I realized I was thinking about something written by somebody else by another Mm. Elizabeth with a B last name so I did not take that one Mm. but yeah I like Mm -hmm. that I also liked um at one point Paris tells Tristan and his girlfriend I guess (laughs) to go and spawn in front of Paramore yeah (laughs) that's better (laughs) to go and spawn in front of somebody else's locker and I just liked that Mm -hmm. because Paris obviously also wants to be that girl the girl also tells Paris to get bangs, which I think provokes her further. Yeah. I didn't like that. I thought it was well, kind of just like a women against women kind of thing. Or, mm-hmm. you know, she was just being mean to Paris because she had the boy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I think this was one of my earlier Friday night dinner critiques about the writing of teen girls Mm -hmm. and I think in that episode was like lacking nuance and I would say this has been a continued issue not always but it's like there's like there's like Rory and there's Paris and these are like the smart girls we're supposed to like root for and identify with and they're like complicated um and then there's like everyone else (laughs) and like Madeline Louise this unnamed person who's like applying lip gloss and giving her rude fashion advice while like Madeline and Louise are advertising a party and how you need to dress right for it and it's like there's no there's no in between in this world so far from what I've seen um like which could just use more work because that's not the case like that's not the case in the real world. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm not saying you're too simple or surface level character if they like lip gloss and parties and whatnot. <laughs> but that doesn't inherit that trait inherently doesn't make them simple. You know, it's like so uh. it's yeah, it's definitely like stereotyping and reducing them to their most mm-hmm. petty characteristic kind of mm-hmm. and yeah, not giving them other depth, as you said. Yeah, there's not a problem with having a flat or a surface character necessarily. Like, not every single character can be the protagonist or Mm -hmm. the main character, you know. But, like, to reduce them so much to one thing and just makes them a little less interesting, I think. Like, yeah. Especially with Madeline and Louise, who have started to kind of get some dynamics. But so far, they've just played out this stereotype as far as we've seen them. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah. We should also keep in mind at this party that Madeline is inviting everybody to. I think it will come up in the next episode with mm. some drama, if I'm remembering things correctly. <laughs> I have some drama. I don't remember that at all. That we will absolutely hate. <laughs> but Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> After this, um, we move back to the inn. So we're kind of getting some more of Lorelai's day in on Founder's Day um, in her grumpiness. Mm-hmm. 
she As she go yeah goes about in her mood yeah she walks in and of course this doesn't help but suki and jackson are making out in the kitchen and i'm just glad to see more of their nice relationship because uh, we haven't gotten that much mm-hmm. so it's just good to see that they are thriving amongst vegetables and stuff mm-hmm. it made me wonder if this episode aired around february like around yeah. valentine's day it could it maybe didn't but I, at this point, I started to notice the theme of, like, dating, relationships, love, heartbreak. It was very all in that space. <laughs> Even Michelle has a date. Yeah. <laughs> Which... They're trying to heterosexualize him again. They really are. <laughs> at first, at first, I really actually thought it was him talking to his mom, because I'm pretty sure later on he does talk to his mom in a similar way. But... Yeah. Yeah, he it supposedly is flirting with a woman. I don't know why they need to do that to him. I'm going to look up really quick when this episode aired because I'm just curious now. Okay, this one aired on March 8th. But the one that was close to Valentine's Day, I guess the double date one was close to Valentine's Day and Concert Interruptus mm. was close to Valentine's Day. But Okay, that makes sense. I guess this is around... The beginning of spring fever and everything. Does <laughs> that make mm-hmm. sense? <laughs> Makes me think of that song from Bambi. I haven't seen Bambi for so long. I don't remember the songs. Oh, it's like spring flowers or showers. Oh. Everyone, all the animals are like in love. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I should have a more concrete way to explain my example if I bring it up. <laughs> well, it's a childhood memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lorelai continues on her day. She leaves the inn and goes through town, eventually making her way to Luke's. But on her way, a giant paper mache star, I almost said flower, <laughs> but we're all about stars this episode, falls directly in front of where she was going to be walking in a mere matter of seconds, which is a very bad omen. And the volunteer setting it up says, like, that's never happened before. <laughs> so it's a very, you know, outward, external kind of metaphor of her mood. And perhaps a sign that bad things are to come, such as Rachel, Luke's ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so when she gets to Luke's, I actually have, I mean, first off, we start off with a iconic quote, which is, she asks for coffee, mm-hmm. please, and a shot of cynicism. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. one of Lorelai's best known quotes. Yeah, you'll definitely find that on Etsy merch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a bit of Taylor and Miss Patty debating over whether, I guess, Taylor thinks that the lovers built the bonfire to throw themselves into. And Patty's like, no, they built it to stay warm, of course. (laughs) What's romantic Mm -hmm. about wanting to burn yourself to death? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's the Romeo and Juliet ending, I think, Taylor's version. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Um, But my Friday night dinner nominations is actually in this scene. So Mm Lorelai is complaining about everything and finally... Luke also, you know, agrees with her and hates everything, but they start making a lot of these kind of jokes about bipolar, like calling Lorelai bipolar Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
and some a lot just a lot of jokes about like mental illnesses and this reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of the episode where my Friday night dinner critique was um Lorelai like taking pills just kind of willy-nilly out of Suki's pill bag <laughs> and it just mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of especially in this time of media how like cavalier people were with making jokes about mental illness and stuff like that Mm -hmm. like in such a derogatory way um it was really disappointing and I know that I know that that they were just making these as jokes which kind of makes it worse because Mm -hmm. as if right like you were a bipolar somebody with bipolar disorder watching this Mm -hmm. like what kind of message is that giving you um or just any any viewer, what kind of message is that giving you about people who have this disorder? It's disappointing. Yeah. And to use it as a kind of metaphor for her just general bad mood really reduces like the actual experience that bipolar people have. <laughs> and they're not the same, you know, so to uh, use them to as a metaphor, which is saying this is the same as this, it's reducing it and like simplifying it to a level that's not true to the actual like lived experience too yeah Uh, yeah it's I think we've like this is the second well no the third episode now there are a couple other moments in this episode too with little lines that really like our last two critiques Mm -hmm. have been about either fat phobia or homophobia and now here dealing with mental illness I did Maybe I just wasn't paying attention enough, but in the first half of the season, I feel like I didn't notice as many inappropriate throwaway lines that are now popping up at this time in the show, which is almost more concerning because, like, you think they're getting into their rhythm now, and I'm curious to see if we're going to have to continue tracking these things where they're just, like, part of the fabric of the show in a little... It's like a nice sweater, but these lines are, like, the tag is still on and it's scratching you and you can't completely enjoy it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And I kind of think that it does keep happening more because when I like think back on the show in general, especially the first maybe like four or five seasons, there are so many things that pop up like that to me. And I kind of wonder whether they like were getting more popular and felt like Either they could get away with this kind of stuff, although at this point in Mm -hmm. time, like, jokes like that were completely normal. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's necessarily what they were thinking, but yeah, we we definitely didn't see that kind of stuff in the first few episodes. We saw other problematic things in the first few episodes, but Lorelai just needs to admit what's actually... Yeah, yeah, she does just need to admit what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So in addition to this line and the general discussion about how Lorelai is feeling, we have another dramatic entrance, not quite as dramatic as Christopher on the motorcycle, (laughs) but still Rachel's entrance is very much like Lorelai has her back turned and has to like look around to see why Luke's face is like in complete shock. And it's Rachel who we heard about several episodes ago. We got the sense Lorelai was already jealous of her then. It definitely comes to fruition now, Mm -hmm. especially because I think Luke has a type. I've only seen two cases, (laughs) 
But, you know, they're both brunette, like, talkers, very creative, free will, free spirit kind of people. And Mm -hmm. though Rachel looks, like, kind of like Lorelai, but I think Rachel looks more like Anne Hathaway. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I strangely thought that Rachel um, kind of felt like, at least in this first iteration of her, like, what Rory dreams of being in her Mm. career at this point. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, she wants to be this um, investigative journalist, kind of, somebody who's on the ground in different places. Mm -hmm. That seems to be what Rachel is doing. Just she's a photojournalist, I think. It kind of makes it seem, just from what we're getting of Rachel here, and she is, like, so kind of uh, free, it seems. It doesn't seem like this would actually Mm -hmm. suit Rory very well. Um, but it is nonetheless what she dreams of. (laughs) Right. It's like Rory's idealized version of herself Mm -hmm. or what she thinks she wants. (laughs) But then watching the revival, she's clearly no Rachel. Yeah. (laughs) She's not successful in her work at all. Uh, Yeah. That's a conversation for another day. (laughs) And I feel like part of it is Rachel seems completely willing to, and she seems to thrive off of dropping everything Mm -hmm. and not having not thinking forward, which is something that Rory yeah. can't do. Like, she needs to have a plan. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of their main mm-hmm. differences. And also one of the main yeah. reasons why you see, like, the immediate clash between Rachel and Luke. Luke just can't deal with this having, like, with somebody who has no thought of the future or reasons for what they're doing. Yeah, she's very spont spontaneous she's she has spontaneity spontaneous she's spontaneous (laughs) and doesn't really have roots you Mm -hmm. know whereas luke is like the most grounded person his roots probably go miles deep in stars (laughs) hollow yeah i also like you really get a idea of why luke and lorelei would work because you're right like she Mm -hmm. and rachel are very similar but at the same time lorelei is also a very roots person like she has plans for her life and she doesn't want to leave stars hollow so it's like the perfect kind of medium of like the fast thinking Mm -hmm. excitingness of rachel but the kind of (laughs) homebodiness that luke needs so it's interesting to see with rachel's arrival agreed lorelei leaves kind of abruptly Mm -hmm. she makes a comment about how she runs the inn and she put all of these coffee makers in all of the rooms and only half of them work and it turns out when she gets home later and she's telling Rory about this she says she's like really embarrassed and she feels like she made herself seem stupid in front of Rachel who like we're show we're I think we're led to leave has a very serious job like she was just doing journalism in Israel and Palestine so Lorelai felt a little embarrassed in light of her, you know, kind of jealousy toward Rachel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but this scene has my Lorelai's Closet nomination oh, because as they're talking, oh yeah, <laughs> I thought it's like the star of the episode mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of fashion. Um, is the so they so Rory's getting ready for her date with Dean and she is in this dress that I would say would you say it's like a kind of like a magenta color like between red and pink 
Yeah, it's definitely... It was a gorgeous color. It's definitely, like, pink, but not the kind of, like, I don't know, pastel kind Mm -hmm. of pink that you think of. It's Yeah, it's more like a... Like, very deep. Yeah, like, the jewel tone version of pink or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I really liked the color, especially on her. Yeah. And it has, like, a higher neck that has, like, a fabric kind of rose Mm -hmm. flower next to it, which is just really, like elegant and mature but the dress as a whole I think partly due to the color um is like young and fresh as well Mm -hmm. like it's very another instance of timeless fashion I think with Rory yeah yeah I really liked it especially the halter top thing I feel like Mm -hmm. you don't see that very much but halter like for some people halter tops just look really really good and I felt like it looked really good on Rory and then it also makes you kind of feel like it's spring, you know, because she's got like, it's yeah. sleeveless, even though she puts on a jacket. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I liked, I liked this dress. I mean, I would never wear it, but <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would wear it. <laughs> uh, something else, this is the continuation in this conversation. Yet again, Max comes up and Lorelai admits she's missing him and that she had the dream that you mentioned earlier. Rory asks her if it was a dirty dream. <laughs> and I think I would just say to Rory, don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. Yeah, seriously. Like, that, don't ask your mom if she had a dirty dream. Especially, I don't care how close you are. <laughs> especially not a dirty dream about your teacher that you have to go to class with I know. the next day. Yeah. And Lorelai says, when you're 21, I'll tell you the real answer. Because she says no. <laughs> so we know, we all know the real answer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> they also have this meatball bit. That's all that I wrote mm-hmm. in my notes about it because it is just like a very much a bit where they talk about it being like a lady. I mean, they're going to a fancy restaurant, so it's going to be like Lady in the Tramp and push the meatball mm-hmm. around with their noses and stuff. Um, so the, it, it, really what it leads to is Rory saying that she'll bring home a meatball for Lorelai, um, which is kind of a weird, a weird request. But fitting in their relationship Mm -hmm. they are very strange we interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor once upon a time two star-crossed lovers determined to be together made their way to where stars hollow stands today they lit a fire to stay warm on their first night together or something like that While even the members of the Stars Hollow City Council themselves can't quite remember how exactly the town was founded, they do know it's important to celebrate it with the Founders Firelight Festival. Each year, the uh, festival features a bonfire, booths, and more stars than you can count. Everywhere you go, you're sure to cross stars. There's the natural starlight, of course, plus the shiny stars in trees, star-shaped hot dogs, and huge paper mache stars suspended in the sky, which we've just heard have been reported as a safety hazard. So, hey, visit them while you still can before they're banned. For listeners of Talking Fast, the Founders Firelight Festival has a special offer just for you. When you attend the festival, go up to any festival volunteer and tell them your version of the Founders' tale. How and why did the Founders arrive in Stars Hollow? When exactly was, what exactly was the fire used for? After debating with them for several minutes about which of you is right, you should then mention that you're a listener of Talking Fast for the special deal. 
At that point, the festival volunteer will give you a coupon for a buy one, get one free deal for the infamous Founders Day Party Punch. You might remember it from previous years, or if you had one too many, maybe not. You must be 21 or older to receive this coupon, limited to punches per person based on safety regulations. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On their way out, so Lorelai's heading to Friday night dinner, Rory is heading to her date, we do get a short scene with Lane. That felt a little randomly placed. We get no follow-up on this at all. Mm -hmm. Lane says she's going to the festival with an arranged date, a future chiropractor. So she says her mom is losing faith in her (laughs) prospects, which I did think was funny. And that, like, so many ma- so many members of his family are going to be on the date as well. So she really doesn't mm-hmm. want to go. But that's it. That's all we get. Kind of just, like, you know, the recurring joke about Lane and her mom's matchmaking. Yeah, and I kind of wish that we got, like, more, more mm-hmm. of just Lane in general and more of an idea about why she doesn't like these people whether it's just because they're arranged or if she really doesn't Mm -hmm. have anything in common with them or what right are they as boring as chase bradford (laughs) my god he's terrible (laughs) but yeah we just they all leave and that's the that's the end of the lane conversation sadly the rest of the episode are these two consecutive yeah, consecutive storylines about Friday night dinner versus that date. And the first thing I think to say, I alluded to it a minute ago or even earlier on, Emily has set up Lorelai on this Friday night dinner unbeknownst to her with someone named Chase Bradford who looks like he could come out of like a rich people catalog. Mm-hmm. And he's so boring. So, so boring. Yeah. <laughs> That's all there is to say about him. In his introduction, interestingly enough, I have my Roy's bookshelf moment. (laughs) They're they're talking about, like, where he lives, and uh, Lorelai mentions, I think, two, like, dog statues or something out in front of his... I don't remember Mm -hmm. if they're statues or actual dogs, but... I think they're real dogs. Yeah, at, at his house, and he mentions that they're called Leopold and Loeb, and I also... Picked, I picked this um, because I thought I just was curious because I had heard those names before, but I didn't really know what they meant. So I looked it up um, and Leopold and Loeb were two murderers of a 14 year old in the 19, I think, let's see, I think it was like the 1920s or something. But here, I just want to read this this sentence off from the wikipedia so maybe we can get an idea of why Mm -hmm. chase would be uh, proud of naming his dogs after these two murderers (laughs) so it says they committed the murder characterized at the time as quote the crime of the century end quote 
as a demonstration of their ostensible intellectual superiority, which they believed enabled and entitled them to carry out a perfect crime without consequences. <laughs> and I just, oh I read this God. and I was like, this 100%, like, I understand why they picked this reference for this guy. Yes. He's just, like, so mm-hmm. pompous and so, like, boring and mm-hmm. clearly sees himself as an intellectual superior and i just like of course he would idolize these two men who murdered somebody because they thought that they were smart enough to get away with it i read through how they carried out this crime and it's so fucking dumb it's so so stupid (laughs) and so like they put so much effort into it and it obviously you know they still got caught um Mm -hmm. so that's that's the story of leopold and lobe and to name your dogs that I feel like implies the kind like the kind of dog they had or even trained the dog to be like mm-hmm. were these like vicious guard dogs, you know, to protect their beautiful mansion or something like that. Like, I feel like that would only add to the meaning that you're describing because yeah. <laughs> what a perfect illusion that truly does add so much. I'm so glad that you looked into that. Good. That's good. I mean, horrifying. <laughs> yeah. I thought he had unsettling vibes to him throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. like um he at one point he says like shall we and he's holding out his hand to her or he says i'll be waiting so (laughs) and now in the that context it's even creepier (laughs) i thought he was just like really too forward like really trying to push their connection and he was like way too serious about it (laughs) but now i'm you know now i want to say other things about what his true intentions could be secretly yeah he's yeah he's terrible emily is like eating it up well i have a feeling that she was also bored out of her mind but she really wants this to be a success so she's laughing at everything he says Mm -hmm. and all this richard is yeah bored and clearly just like not paying attention to what's going on he doesn't want to be there so Mm -hmm. for once he and (laughs) lorelei have something in common i actually want to say Before we get to a good scene between uh, Richard and Lorelai, on the point that you're making about Emily and, like, she's probably not interested in anything either, but she's just acting along, acting amused, I totally got that vibe too. And it started earlier on when Lorelai was, you know, basically saying, how could you do this? You set me up. Was this your plan all along? And Emily says the phrase, it was a good opportunity. And this really had me thinking about like some of what I read and work on in terms of women and their work. And I really, I did want to flag for a moment here, as annoying as Emily is, and if I was her daughter, I would hate to be put in this situation. I do see her very like calculating nature here and her like skill set to like see this as an opportunity. Like what she's really doing is turning kind of like this idea of like social capital into and then she makes it into like literal capital Mm -hmm. so like Richard's not the only business person in the family she also is but like a different kind and it's a lot of work for her to maintain their social status say what you want about like do I think morally she does bad things in light (laughs) of that pursuit yeah definitely in my opinion But from just, like, to remove and just to, like, think about her work and her skills, I'm just like, damn, she's so good at what Mm -hmm. she does, even though it's, like, awful for Lorelai. 
yeah, she's like, oh, she's doing so much. And I think it must be so much work to act like a good hostess and laugh and like ask him questions to to get him to tell another boring anecdote. Like there's no way in hell that she's actually entertained by him, but she is entertaining. She is the host. She's going to make it happen, you know? (laughs) Yeah, the like conversational skills that you'd need are just, Mm. yeah something that I can only dream of like being able to carry on a conversation (laughs) with somebody that you're not interested in at all and Mm -hmm. make make them feel like they're being they're doing a great job in the conversation I feel like that's a big part of her (laughs) skill is like making the other person feel Mm -hmm. a certain way and she uses that against Lorelai as well that skill (laughs) just kind of you know as a an attack rather than something good but she is very yeah, good she attacked her this episode yeah yeah she attacked her with that line about like it's a it's an accomplishment that rory at her age is in a relationship for three months or maybe it's an accomplishment for some people at any age mm-hmm. implying you know lorelei hasn't been settled down yet so she can raise people up and she can cut them down just as fast <laughs> yeah she is a wordsmith <laughs> which mm-hmm. we see where lorelei got it did you want to talk a bit more about Richard and Lorelai. Oh yeah. So the the kind of ending of Friday night dinner is Lorelai attempting to sneak out. And we've kind of we haven't really gotten any like resolution or anything from last week's episode where they had that big fight. Um mm-hmm. when Lorelai first shows up for dinner, he's kind of ignoring her. He keeps like telling her to be quiet and let him read um but i when when she's sneaking out he catches her in it so he opens the door and she's like halfway outside the window um and they have this mm-hmm. kind of like unspoke i mean they they do say some things but i feel like their main connection is an unspoken one kind of like when mm-hmm. they had that moment in the hospital um yes yeah where lorelei is like please just don't make me go back in there um, that guy's mm-hmm. so boring. And they just kind of like <laughs> exchange a look for a couple minutes and Richard thinks about it. And then he yells down to Emily like she's not here and Laura like it's to sneak out. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a, yeah. a really good way to kind of add some closure to what they had, the fight that they'd had. Because Lorelai does say mm-hmm. at one point in her pleading for Richard to let her leave that like she knows she's been a disappointment but she's she's an adult she can deal with that um all that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. it's kind of yeah they kind of talk a bit more about well Lorelai talks a bit more about the the conversation and I feel like Richard really heard what she was saying and also kind of regretted what he had said so this was his way of making up for it yeah I did I really like this moment for all the things that you said and that it kind of leaves the door open to for further growth in their relationship like it clearly does not seem repaired yet but you think like down the line hopefully he'll come to not view her as a disappointment and he'll be able to communicate that to her because that could be another reason she's in a funk this Mm -hmm. episode besides Max Medina the feeling that she feels like a disappointment to her father like one of the most important relationships in her life aside from a few others of course so yeah yeah that's so true 
And I liked that she was just climbing out of the window that she <laughs> and Christopher just hooked up in just a week yep. prior. <laughs> At first, I even thought, because she, she goes into her old room and there's a jacket on the mm-hmm. bed. And for a moment, I thought that maybe it was Christopher's leather jacket, but it wasn't. It was just hers. Yeah. But... <laughs> okay. Well, meanwhile, we have another date happening that was planned. It was not unplanned <laughs> between Rory and Dean. Apparently, there's another nice, fancy restaurant in Stars Hollow besides Le Fleur from last, the last time we mm-hmm. saw the Double Date episode. The dinner seems to be going well this time. We don't really see all of it, but apparently Dean has ordered Rory three different kinds of pasta because she couldn't decide. And they get dessert and soda. And I just want to, like, okay, again, like, some shit is going to go down. But, like, also, how is Dean affording all of (laughs) this? I do kind of feel like he's probably taking a lot. Like, how many hours did he have to work at the, at Ducey's, you know, to make, to afford this meal and Rory's not like paying for anything and she didn't plan anything like doesn't seem like she got him a gift or something I was like is this only like a one-way street will she take the six-month anniversary maybe that's not gonna happen but uh, you know yeah. But, yeah maybe this is an exchange for her being a housewife a 50s housewife for him mm. Uh, good the, point good point <laughs> the different kinds of exchanges how the tables have turned yeah i thought it was really I, I don't know how i felt about it actually when dean was like so worried about whether she liked everything i thought it was kind of yeah it was cute in a way but it would have also annoyed me so much in the moment it's just like just let it be <laughs> we're having a nice night but yeah he was like constantly asking her if she liked things if she wanted more all this kind of stuff. Um, he was very worried about it. Yeah. Um, in this scene, I also had my Friday night dinner critique. Not actually with Dean, but I wanted to bring something up that we've discussed multiple times, but I think it's good to check in and remind that the problem is still there. Um, we see their waiter approach, and it's a black guy and I think this is the first black person that we've seen in the show that I can really remember besides Michelle in maybe the whole show so far. Or if, you know, um, and in terms of people of color, besides like Lane, Mrs. Kim, and Michelle, this is the only character. So it's just like their waiter is black and there's not much black representation in Stars Hollow at all. And... I think this brings up an issue not only of representation, but also of casting in general. Like, how many roles are they casting throughout a season for all the different episodes of, like, background people or side bit characters, like Chilton students, Stars Hollow community members, people at the inn, guests at the inn. And it's like, this is, he actually has a speaking line, which is basically, like, for the the meatball bit, like, here's your meatball. (laughs) And it's just, like, underwhelming, to say the very least, I think. Like, I don't know what to say other than... I can't say do better because it's <laughs> over. If there's another revival, do better, I guess. But this is just such a recurring issue on the show. And I know I'm not the first person to point it out, and I'm not solving it or anything. But mm-hmm. I think it's good to, like, bring attention to it sporadically. Because it's still always there. It's always white, so... yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's so true. I like there she doesn't have any classmates or anything that aren't white as far as I can tell from Chilton and there's mm-hmm. only Michelle um and he's also like I don't know, he's he's kind of in a role that's like a more uh palatable black person for white people, you know. Um Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a problem with a lot of like predominantly white shows um, is when they do cast people of color, they mm-hmm. put them in only certain types of roles. Um, and yeah, right. so I, I definitely think that's a good critique to make of this show. And I I wish that there was something that they like there was some indication that at some point in the series they did better. But I think it, if anything, it almost gets worse. I, because the longer right, they go right. making mm-hmm. these casting decisions, the more they're saying about the, you know, they're saying with those casting decisions. So, right. And if they're like, if they're building a sort of almost like utopia in a way, like Stars Hollow is difficult to believe it exists. And there's so many qualities about it that are so dreamy and whimsical and like you'd love to be there. It's almost like a fantasy. But, by populating it with only white people who all seem to like be of a certain class, even though it's like their race and their class is enabled to be invisible mm-hmm. in Stars Hollow as long as they're like white, of course. They're really saying like who gets to live in that world or what that world looks like by not simply casting any other like black or brown people, you know? <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Hard to transition <laughs> away from this one. Uh, but we can to another kind of oh no moment. Uh, when they leave the restaurant, they walk through the festival briefly, mm-hmm. but Rory says that the bonfire is going to take a very long time to start. So they decide to go to his phase two of the evening, which is a surprise. And the minute the camera kind of like shows this like salvage yard, I had my aha moment of like, <laughs> Where it was like car. <laughs> I love you. No response. Break up. I was like, no, it's going to happen. Before we get too far into that, though, I did have my stars hollow (laughs) moment at the little bit that they are walking through. Um, And it was we see our uh, mayor once more making the announcements or whatever. I don't remember what his name is, but um, then I think Harry. Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. But but then yeah, Rory's like we th- this will take a while. We'll we'll be back before they light it. And Dean is questioning what's happening. We pan back to the to the mayor and Taylor and Patty, and they're all freaking out because once again they've forgotten matches to light the bonfire with, <laughs> and they're just realizing it now. And apparently this happens every single year. So that was my Stars Hollow moment. <laughs> Only, only in Stars mm-hmm. Hollow would this happen every single year. I like that. It's his 32nd year <laughs> presiding over the festival, too, the mayor says. And it's probably happened every single 32 years, like you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Except for the upcoming years where we'll never see it again. Yeah, or, or him, <laughs> for that matter. <laughs> yeah, or him. I didn't... I, I think I said when we saw him the first time that we would never see him again. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised that we actually had that line of continuity here. But I, I'll say now on record on the mic, <laughs> I do think we'll never see him again officially. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. 
And you can quote me on that. <laughs> but after this moment, yeah, we do get into the salvage yard. How do you feel about him getting her a car as this gift for their three-month anniversary? <laughs> I think the the initial, like, I'm getting you a car is ridiculous, especially for a three-month anniversary. The fact that he's making mm-hmm. it makes it a little bit more okay because you kind of get the feeling that it's also a hobby for him. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a long so way to like go. he's like using the hobby as a labor of love. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But it does, looking at the car and the condition it's in and probably how much he knows at this point about cars, I feel like it's going to take a year. So it's also kind of like a commitment in a way. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving you this. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. But you'll, you'll only get it after we've dated for another year or something. I would I don't know if I would accept it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she looks, like, very stunned and surprised. But she also, like, kisses him very enthusiastically afterward and mm-hmm. does seem excited about it when they go to, like, sit in the car. Because he's, like, only a few parts of the car are there, but the seats are intact, so they go to sit in it. And... I think I, I mean, I share the same general feelings about this idea of gifting a car as you like to view it. I don't, I don't know. We've just talked about ways of showing affection on this show. And it seems like this is along that like Emily line or Christopher last episode mm-hmm. wanting to buy a book, like the idea of like buying or purchasing love. Like if I provide this grand thing for you in return, you'll provide me with this. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see his kind of logic shortly in a moment of like, if I give you this, you have to give me this in return. And there's also that whole like year long commitment or who knows how long it will take him. The fact that he's like, he's going to make it and like, I do like the idea, like, he crafted her that bracelet. In a way, I see the logic behind his thinking, and I appreciate it, but there's just so much other kind of ethical issues going on with this gift in general. Yeah, it kind of, it makes it so that once she has the car, even, she's, like, indebted to Mm -hmm. him in a way. Like, they can technically break up. Like, if they break up, does he get it back? Yeah. (laughs) Or does she, like, just keep driving around town in the car that he made her? Yeah, there's just so many, so many weird, weird things that they they just don't think about, obviously, as teenagers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Also, why would you... Yeah. I don't think Dean has a car. Why doesn't he make himself a car? He could drive her around. I don't know. And she's like, well, buy a car. And he's like, I noticed you didn't have one. Like, lots of people don't have cars. That doesn't mean they necessarily want one either. Like, I think she's stunned by the grandiosity of this gift. But is a car really what Rory wants? Mm -hmm. I think we've seen maybe not. I... I mean, I did also appreciate he's like, you spend so much time on the bus, this will free up your time. But then he, like, says the freed up time will be for him. Yeah. Basically. What if she... And talking about Russian writers. <laughs> so he keeps referencing things she likes, and I'm, like, confused about how to feel about it. Mostly I feel bad, Yeah. <laughs> what if she likes taking the bus because it gives her a chance to read, you know? I don't know. Yeah, or do maybe. But that, that mm-hmm. yeah, that leads us to our... Uh, big moment of this episode which is dean at their supposed three-month anniversary saying rory i love you 
and <laughs> her staring at him. She says nothing. Flabbergasted. <laughs> Crickets. <Yeah. laughs> and he's like, did you hear me? And she says, yes. <laughs> like, um, she says then she loves the car. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you love anything else? Like, oh, this goes from, this goes downhill so fast. I know. And actually, this might seem a bit weird. But this moment is my gazebo moment. Oh, mine moment. too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought I was being so clever. <laughs> Great mind. Just the whole he buys her the car. He says, I love you. She says nothing back, mm-hmm. stares at him. It's such an iconic moment seared in my memory. It is so awkward, but it's so dramatic. And it's so unexpected, too, for where you think their storyline is going. They seem so steady, solid. You think they're going to be dating for who knows how long. Perfect first romance. And then this comes out of nowhere, out of left field. It's suddenly like, how do you blink and you miss it? And they're broken up. And it's just so good in terms of like adding this conflict into the story in a way that was so startling to Rory and to me yeah. <laughs> the first time I watched it. <laughs> Why did you pick this moment? I picked it, I mean, for all of those reasons. And also, I was just so proud of Rory for not just mm-hmm. parroting back to him what he wanted to hear because it was very clear yeah. that's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And she, like, yes, she gave him explanations as to why she wasn't comfortable saying it. I thought they were very legitimate explanations. Also, I think mm-hmm. it would be so much worse to hear an I force, like a forced I love you from somebody. Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. she's if she's not there yet, then that's that, you know, <laughs> you don't want her to just fake mm-hmm. it. And she was saying like um, with her parental situation with her parents, like her mom had said, I love you to her father. And look what happened with that. Um, it makes mm-hmm. it makes sense that she would take it very seriously I think Dean kind of takes that as like she's saying he's not taking it seriously which is not the case Mm. (laughs) he just needs to understand Mm. that she's coming at it from a different position and also you can still like people don't need to fall in love at the same time (laughs) sometimes it takes a while sometimes it's staggered and if if they still both get to the same spot that's what matters but whatever it is mm-hmm. like you just don't want somebody to feel like they have to say something and that's what he was yeah. doing to her and I was just proud of her for sticking mm-hmm. to it yeah I'm glad that you point out how well like Rory handles this because I was gonna just focus so much on how <laughs> Dean mishandles everything so I'm glad that we started with the positive side <laughs> um And I guess I don't need to go into it too much. I mean, I'll try to put it simply. It's like he's just so bad at communication in this moment. I think he instantly, the second she doesn't return it, he feels very hurt Mm -hmm. and probably insecure. And he lashes out extremely. He's like instantly angry and rude and mean to her. He refuses to see her perspective, like you point out. Like she very eloquently explains why this is so serious to her and where she's coming from. He does not see it. He makes a rude joke about like, you're not going to get pregnant from saying I love you. Like he's not trying to understand where she's coming from. He also like, he makes fun of her pro and con lists and like says, oh, you want to go back and talk to your mom about it? And this reminds me, that made me so angry because like 
he's making fun of things that she does to make decisions and like this mm-hmm. is just how she deals with things and it's also showing evidence that she needs time to process things before she can talk more about them and he's he's noting that he's noticed this evidence but he's going to choose specifically to ignore it in this this time and it it was like so aggravating yeah i have two thoughts about that the first is like pro con list talking to someone else that's like healthy ways of working toward conflict resolution mm-hmm. and the yeah he's mocking a way that they could both like actually like her doing that would enable her to come back and have them both work together to communicate and resolve this conflict and he should have his own ways of figuring things out whether it's pro con list working on a bike and talking to todd like whatever <laughs> but the the second point is that the oh do you need to go talk about your this with your mom really links back to what we discussed last episode about his comment about you only like have that belief because mm-hmm. of your mom and i think it's clearly showing i mean at last time i was thinking more about how it reflected dean like and his feelings about lorelei but now i'm thinking it's like reflecting how he views rory as a person and i think this is incredibly gendered to whether or not he realizes it like he's saying like you can't make a decision as like a person you need to go talk to your mom it's like very belittling and viewing her as like an inferior person Mm -hmm. like he's manly he could just make this decision on his own you know but she needs help from a parent it's like such a demeaning way for him to view her in that light it's like uh, yeah so those are my two thoughts (laughs) yeah this is if people were ever wondering why we disliked dean um i feel like this is the perfect episode for them to listen to and get our full thoughts on the issue we're in the thick of it yeah (laughs) like Yes, they are teenagers. And so I mm-hmm. understand that there's like going to be, there might not be as much thought or like experience in dealing with situations like this, but still just the way that he like immediately lashes out at her and doesn't listen to any of her mm-hmm. explanations. It's just unacceptable. A huge mm-hmm. red flag, as they would say, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And to like compare it, Rory is also a teen Mm -hmm. also in her first relationship I think Dean they mentioned he had a girlfriend before so this is actually not his first Mm -hmm. relationship whereas it is Rory's and she's communicating in a more healthy way and in terms of Rory uh we we commended her for how she dealt with that short fight with Lane earlier on in the season two like Rory in multiple relationships, platonic or romantic or whatever, has shown that she's not perfect either. She has messed up. She has not shown up perfectly. But the way that she handles it when someone brings it to her attention so far has been miles better than what Dean does in this scene, you know? Yeah. And I'm just, this isn't, this is probably unhelpful for us in the moment, but I'm just thinking forward to what happens (laughs) later with this. And I'm just so angry about it. (laughs) i know i'm gonna need like some kind of coping mechanism i think to recap the rory and dean like part is that part three because they i don't know but them later on it's the darkest of dark times i know (laughs) that's we got we've got some time to figure out (laughs) how we're gonna think about how we can handle it yeah Yeah. Oh my god. If it's just hating on them constantly, I don't know if that's enough, you know, because is that 
the energy I want to put into the world every single week. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but at least we're we're complimenting Rory on her uh, dealing of this now. Although I'm just realizing in the future we will not be complimenting her. But anyways, <laughs> back to this moment. <laughs> we can compliment other people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, do we have anything else to say or should we move forward to the very last scenes of the episode? I think we can move forward. I feel like we've drugged Dean through the mud. He could use a bit more of it, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good. For well, now. yeah, we'll move on <laughs> at the, yeah. So our kind of wrapping up scene is at the festival. Lorelai has now made her way to the festival. I almost feel like this was, we're tracking her journey throughout her day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, kind of like Ulysses or something. <laughs> but anyways, um, Sookie and Jackson have a really nice moment. Yeah, another instance of them thriving together. I'm glad that we got to see two scenes with them, even if they're short, as just further evidence that their relationship, at least, is going well. Yeah. Uh, then we get some more Rachel and Luke and then Lorelai and Luke scenes back-to-back at a park bench. Mm-hmm. What is there to say about <laughs> that? Other than, like, conflict, tables have turned. Yeah. Now Luke is kind of the one not available. <laughs> They're kind of like parallel talks with Luke in the middle. Like, Rachel and Luke's talk is basically about why is Rachel there? And then Rachel also asks Luke about Lorelai. Um Luke is kind of cagey about it. He's like, sometimes it seems like there's something there, but he's he's glad Rachel's there. And you can kind of see in the way that he says, I'm glad you're here, that they're going to take, take back up again. But then when Lorelai and Luke talk, they kind of have the same conversation, basically. Lorelai's like asking about Rachel and why Rachel is here and what's going to happen with them. Completely. And I felt like... Um knowing now that in that last conversation between Luke and Lorelai, he says, sometimes you just need to like jump in rather than spend time debating things, which is like such a not Luke thing to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Lorelai's kind of taking that in a bit pensively. And my theory, my little brain is that when she goes to call Max when she gets home from the festival, I do think Of course, she's missing Max. They did seem to have, like, a really romantic connection when they were together. But I think part of this is also, like, bounding back from the fact that Luke is now with Rachel is the message she got. And so he's no longer available. The table has turned. And she's like, well, you know, who is available and who liked me? Max, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But she gets his voicemail. I feel like we get more of Max's voicemail half the time than we do of him. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, I like that analysis. We also see in this one, this little short scene at the Firelight Festival, we do see Lane again. She walks by past or behind Luke with her date. And then they both are just silent and grim. And then we see a long succession of like 20 relatives passing behind them. And it looks... Okay, I forgot about that. (laughs) I kind of take back what I said about like how we got no follow-up to her appearance earlier. I mean, that's so brief, but at least it is like a... It follows up on the storyline, so... I feel less harshly about her scene earlier. <laughs> but I think also they were setting something up for 
the next the next episode in that so we'll see okay uh the final scene is very sweet but sad uh Lorelai hangs up the phone she looks over Rory has come in the front door she says we broke up and she's very clearly very sad and Lorelai just like wordlessly walks over and hugs her and it fades to black yeah and that is the end definitely not what we would have expected yeah no (laughs) we'll get more about this that was a I think a very interesting episode had a lot of different facets. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I do think that brings us to the end. So I can remind you or announce kind of, I'm not sure if we've said this before. We are still collecting gazebo moments from the entirety of season one. We plan to do a special episode at the end of, of our podcast season uh, where we share a lot of different gazebo moments from listeners and interact with all of you and get your feedback on what you really liked from the season. Um, and as always, you can email those to us at talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can type them up or you can put them in a voice memo of no more than like a minute. And as always, as well, you can follow us on Instagram at talkingfastpodcast, where Suzanne puts out a lot of fantastic content to follow along and keep up with us uh but i think that's all so we'll talk more about this breakup next week yeah (laughs) we'll see what happens see you next week then bye